What's up? What's up? What's up? Back at you, Chad Belding. Another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Thank you all again so much for the continuous response and support of all of our sponsors and partners. It's truly humbling to see the growth of our audience. Today's episode again of the This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast is brought to you by our friends in Lynchburg, Tennessee, the home of the one and only, the Americana, the Jack Daniels. Enjoy it responsibly. But like I said many times, Jack Daniels has been there for us on many occasions to celebrate, to get past a breakup or a heartache, to make sure that our days end well with that five o'clock, six o'clock hour. Jack Daniels is always there. But as long as we enjoy it ethically and responsibly there is nothing wrong once in a while with enjoying the culture of jack daniels so jack daniels thank you very much for believing in everything that we do here at the foul life and all of our brands it's truly humbling i'm excited about today's episode i got somebody that's kind of from that area a little bit more south and a little bit more east of lynchburg tennessee from the great state of georgia he is I don't know how to explain this man. He's been on the podcast, kind of. We got kind of mixed up in Nashville on an Andy Griggs episode. But from what I hear, the reputation of this guy, besides how good he is on in front of the camera, his work ethic is unreal. But his his talents as an archer is what have set him apart, not just being able to shoot a bow in competition and targets and 3D, but actually being able to perform and execute on the hunt but he is also a great instructor and above all that he can set up a bow with the best of them and he's done so many bows for people that have common ground with us from nine to fivers as well as many celebrities it started with Realtree and it spread across the country travis t-bone turner bone collector the main man look at him there how are you brother good how are y'all i'm man thanks i I, i'm gonna have to cut you a check for that intro man i (laughs) if there's any way that i can get a recording of that i'd love that i'd like my wife to hear that every morning buddy i have an entire (laughs) i have an entire recording studio here i could personalize them to your wife every day just to be like miss turner this is chad belding coming at you wanted to remind you that on this great wednesday morning as the sun comes up over the georgia landscape please realize that that man laying next to you travis t-bone turner is one of a kind he shoots and he hits his arrow just like cupid he was cupid the day you met him and he still is stupid in love with you miss turner so just remember that as you get your day started on this beautiful wednesday Man, you talk about brownie points. I, I'd have to have a pickup truck to tote the brownie points in. <laughs> hey, what's that sign say over your left shoulder to my right? What's that say? Well, you, well, here in Georgia, we've trademarked. I mean, I know you've got this This life ain't for everybody, but, you know, we, we had to jump on the train. This life ain't for most folks. <laughs> <laughs> So you, so you, so you're starting a new TV show, a podcast, and just this life ain't for most folks. Not yet. We're just getting our ducks in a row. Uh, no, no pun intended. We're getting our ducks in a row, and we're uh, we're we're just holding that name. You know what I mean? Just in case. Just in case this life. Ain't, I kind of like it. This life. I might start naming this one. This life ain't for most folks. Yeah, well, I'm gonna take be. a tally. Hey, That's the other thing. on the un, uh, the other ongoing talk that we had. I talked to Wadi yesterday. I talked to Nick yesterday. So I've got oh, the oh. I got Bone Collector just nonstop. You know, it's my favorite oh. show on outdoor TV. I've said that many occasions. It's the reason why the foul life is where the foul life is, and um, I talked to I didn't talk to Nick about. We talked, we, we touched on eating wild game and that's all he eats in his diet is, is, is a wild game that he lives off of all year with his family. Then I talked to Wadi and we talked about turkey fries, fish fries, and other ways um, of eating what you guys are probably eating a lot of off the land in the South right now, which would mainly be your wild turkey. Cause you've had some wild turkey success already. And, and I also saw a post from you specifically a couple days ago and right before this i was talking to brent cobb our mutual friend brent cobb and he said he just caught 35 brim um out of his mom his mom's pond his mother-in-law's pond and i said brim as in bluegill because out here we call them bluegill yeah first off t-bone is that the same waddell says that's the same exact thing and there's different species and there's hybrids and all of this but a brim is a bluegill correct well, yeah, a, a brim just kind of encompasses a panfish period. It could be a red-eared sunfish. It could be a uh, um, uh, um, a bluegill, bluegill primarily. It could be a um, 
gosh, I'm thinking there's three or four different species that it could be, but basically, yeah, a brim just encompasses all them, but bluegill being the number one, yes. And when you made that post, you kind of, you spelled it B-R-E-A-M. Yeah. So is that the correct pronunciation or is it Southern to say brim and out West I'm supposed to say bream or is it pronounced brim when it's spelled bream? It's pronounced brim when it's spelled bream. Really? Yes. Okay. See, I yeah. love learning from you. Yeah. And some, and some people even spell it B-R-I-M. B-R-I-M. That would be, yeah. the, that's how I would think it would be spelled. Correct. Yeah. But no, it's spelled B-R-E-A-M, but it's pronounced brim. Okay. So I want you to get your head wrapped around brim, panfish, and turkey. And I want you to think about the 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 edible part of that of what you do as a, as a hunter and a gatherer and how you prepare that stuff because i want to get a couple ideas of i i saw you make a comment and, and waddell said it yesterday about catch and release and yeah released right into lake crisco which is yeah you should trademark that because that's awesome but i want <laughs> i want to touch on something that i that i have i have gotten a lot of slack from from guys like chad mendez who you know guys yeah. that chad mendez has inspired out here west um, and I, and, and I don't want you to hang up on me. So don't like, just be shutting down your laptop when you hear uh. this, a turkey should be killed only with a shotgun. In my opinion. Now I know that you're badass and you're really good with a bow and so is Mendez, but there are certain animals that are meant to be killed certain ways in my opinion. And I'm opinionated, but I'm not going to be ignorant. I know that there's open discussion. I just think that a bow and arrow archery hunt on a turkey is so not needed. It's so un, um, there's like really no like climax, the Shakespearean play where you got your, your plot and then your, your storyline and then your rising action. And then all of a sudden the climax and then the falling action and then the resolution of the walkout with your turkey. There's just none of that because it's just it, the chances of wounding the animal are very high with, you know, not being able to pattern a shotgun through a choke tube. And with the scientific research that goes into today's ammo and, and the innovation there, am I an idiot for saying that? Have you heard that before? And why would I ever even think that coming from a master archer like yourself? Honestly, I, I mean, I'm being 100 uh, percent honest with you. I feel the same way. A turkey is turkey is designed to be shot with a shotgun. I mean blow his face off and there and and i bleed archery honestly i i that first and foremost that's my favorite weapon but um you know and i've killed a couple of turkeys with my bow and, and there's different ways of doing so but a turkey is so three-dimensional and the kill zone is so small that when it's in full strut or even it's like trying to hit a hefty sack or a football so it's hard to pick where the vitals are inside there and when i i recommend people aim for the head therefore if they hit the head just like you would with a shotgun. If you hit the head with archery equipment, the majority of the time you're going to kill it. I mean, 90% of the time, but if you miss, you miss, you haven't wounded it. You, you know, you're not going to have to, uh, you know, cause if they jump and fly and you hit them in the wrong place, you're not going to find them cause they're flying off and you can't blood trail them. So, um, you know, I tell people the vitals of the head are as big as their vitals in their body. So I'm by all means, I'm making sure that they, uh, shoot them towards the head. But me personally, if I'm going turkey hunting, I am definitely, definitely, I'm going to be uh, shotgun hunting. I agree with you 100%. And what about this last couple of weeks? Has it been shotgun? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've never, I'm not taking the bow not one time this year. I mean, well, in the last four years, I've not taken the bow at all. Um, and if you hunt these Easterns, these stubborn Easterns, Waddell will tell you the same thing. I mean, you finally get one to work for you down here as, as they're all shy and it's thick as a wicker basket around here. You want to blow his face off. You're frustrated. So, uh, yeah, you, you don't want to have it. You don't want to have it uh, uh, messed up by, you know, trying to get a bow drawn back or something like that. So, no, no, absolutely. I'm I'm all for you with the shotgun. So, wow. No, I, I don't know if I feel like validated. I don't want because I'm not that guy that's raw, raw. It's just something about it just came over me probably three years ago to where I just I'm not going to get up on a soapbox and say like, you should never hunt a turkey, but you know what I mean? If you're hunting and you're ethical and legal and having fun, then fine. But I, what you said just it validates it to me. Like it's almost like trying to shoot a coyote. And I know that people have different thoughts on a coyote. My thought growing up with coyotes, cause out West here, it was nothing to hear 15 of them howling every night. Right. And then we started hunting them and we totally believe in predator management 
and control and and and, and controlling your your population of coyotes, bobcats, mountain lions, everything. Especially with a state right next door like California that you can't chase bobcats with dogs, you can't chase bears with dogs, you can't chase you can't even look at a cougar in California, let yeah. alone hunt one, right? So there are mountain ranges, T-Bone, like on our borders of California, northern Nevada, where the mule deer population used to be insane in the antelope population. And because of that protection in California, they'll just transplant cougars from like the Los Angeles area and SoCal and Central Cal. And then they'll transplant them into all these northern California mountain ranges. Well, it gets cold as heck. What do they do? They come right down into the valleys and across the state border. They find home here and our herds are affected by it. So there, everything ha- comes with with a cost. But um, when I'm when I'm thinking about predator management, I always tell people the first thing you always hear is cuss words and then the coyote. F a coyote or I hate coyotes. Well, I look at it more like we built our land. We built our homes right in their land. Right. And we yep. do have the right to manage them, but we can't just be like, we got to eradicate coyotes. They're part of our ecosystem and they're part of the everyday, you know, stance that wildlife populations have in our habitats here in America, Canada, wherever coyotes roam, which there are a ton of them in Canada. And they have moved eastward, even into Georgia, where they're not probably as prevalent as they are out here, but they're getting more. So, so my point in saying all of that was I, learned a long time ago that when I'm calling coyotes, I want them at three feet with a 12 gauge and I want them triples and I want them fours and fives coming all at once where I'm picking them off like mallard ducks or dove on a September Georgia dove shoot. I, I am, I'm okay proficient with a rifle at 175 to 300 yards with no wind and a pretty steady, you know, rest. These guys that are trying to kill coyotes with the vitals being that big at 800, a thousand yards, you're just going to cripple that animal. And there's no sense in crippling any animal, even a coyote. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I talking about getting up on a soapbox, I want to make sure that everybody's well aware that yeah, we, um, we're all for if it's legal. By all means, if that scratches your itch and that is your desire to hunt turkeys with a with a bow, by all means do so. I got a lot of friends that do so, and it's a definitely a great redneck to-do list to check off to make sure that you've done it with it. But uh, I personally, you know, personally get the thrill out of shooting with a shotgun just because it's so hard. And, 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 and rightfully so, like you talk about, uh, you know, coyote hunting. Well, in Georgia, you can't shoot that far just about anywhere. So they're going to have to be under 150 yards here in Georgia. So you don't have to shoot those long distances for coyotes. So yeah, the more the merrier. If you're trying to eradicate or you're trying to definitely thin out and do some predator control, uh, a shotgun, you know, with some, some buckshot or number twos and fours or something like that. Yeah. It's going to do the job uh, rather nicely when they're, uh, you know, under 60 yards. T-Bone, when you talk, I, 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 I think of a lot, and I was talking to Wadi yesterday about the Alabama episode y'all did with the tornado, and I don't want to get into it with you because it got, it, it got emotional yesterday with what that episode meant to me. Wadi got really emotional yesterday with what it meant to him as far as like how y'all are able to give back, and you have been very good at giving back, not just in conservation and to the animal, but T-Bone Turner has been very good and um, just so, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but you're always there to help a kid or to set up a bow or to teach a class or go to a Whitetails Unlimited function and be a speaker. You have a very strong following. When you're on camera and you're doing your in, in your in your in studio, what have become my one of my favorite parts of the Bone Collector show is that how you guys go back and forth so naturally. Are you guys scripted or are you even in the same area? Do you go to Waddell's? Is there a studio to where Munt flies in and y'all meet there and you kind of feed off of each other in a day like that? And like, if you're talking about turkey hunting bows and we had this conversation, it just sparked me. Like you're sitting there going, well, turkey hunting bows, I agree with you, Chad. And then Waddell comes on and goes, well, wait a minute, T-Bone, we got it. We got it. Somebody that wants to argue. And then all of a sudden Munt comes on in his mullet wig and he's like, I love hunting turkeys with the bow. And then all of a sudden the camera flashes back to T-Bone. He's like, let me tell you something, you know, you know what I'm talking about with that back and forth? Is that scripted and written out or is it a hundred percent natural? And you guys are filming them in different locations, et cetera. No, they're all filmed in the same location. We have a studio at our offices uh, here in Georgia. And, uh, you know, Michael and I only live, you know, 20, 30 minutes from there. But usually what we do is the the, the producers have the show about 90% done. And they know that where they're going to put, uh, you know, the, the uh, B-roll and the 
um, spine takes in there. So what we watch the show so that we're familiar with how, the way it is edited and what's being seen so we know how to comment. And then basically we ad lib all of it, meaning it's there's no script whatsoever. The producer just says, hey, I need a comment about uh, this doe that Nick shot. I need a comment about uh, Waddell missing this. I need a comment about that. Because we, you know, so a lot of times we're not all three in camp, you know, there's very few times that we're fortunate enough to all three be in camp. So we don't know the feel of the way the whole week went. If, if we're doing a spine takes for a show that Waddell did, um, we're, we get the feel of it by watching the, the edited version. And then we comment based on that. And then uh, um, whoever goes first, uh, you know, we get to see some of their. Uh, you know, it may be on different days. We're not all three there and we get the banner back and forth. A lot of times I'll go down there and it's just me and the producer. It'll be at night or in the morning. And uh, actually, I can't remember a time in the last three years that Michael or Nick was even in the office when I was down there or vice versa. Nick will fly in, usually does his flies in that morning, does two or three shows in a row and then flies back that night. You know, he's not even in town for a day. So uh, that's the way we do it. It's all done in the same studio and we've got you know soundboards up and backlighting so it's you know kind of a, a lighted brand if you will so anytime you see the green screen behind us you know the the lit green screen you know that that's a a, a bone collector spine take uh, branded type interview so no we don't we don't know we ad lib it all you know basically we just bounce we sit there and think about it a little bit and say hey i want to say something like this uh, this would be a good time to be serious this would be a good time to be funny and we just we try a few few things and uh you know, it just kind of works out real good. And we, we want to make it lighthearted. What else says so many times that, you know, uh, our show, by all means, you know, there's a lot of shows that kill a lot bigger deer, but there is no show out there that's going to outfun us by all means. You know, we want to celebrate whether it's a doe, a squirrel or, or anything. If it's legal, we just want to celebrate the hunt. We want folks to feel like when they watch the episode, it's like, holy crap, I'd love to be in camp with those guys. Oh yeah. And I mean, that's, that's kind of what the theme of my talk was yesterday about how that, that part of the lifestyle takes a, a duck hunter or a coyote hunter out West and puts them in that whitetail stand or that moose, that moose camp and makes it, makes you feel like, Hey, I'm part of the brotherhood. And I think it wasn't, I know, I, I, I think there was obviously it was very well thought out, you know, the brotherhood in the, in the, in the bone collector, and the brand and how it was initiated, but I don't think any of you guys were ready for what was going to happen, you know, and here we are 12, 13 years later. I know that you're a very humble man, Travis T-Bone Turner, but you also have a life that a lot of people that could easily become envious of. And you guys do a really good job of trying to make those people understand that, Hey, we, we can all do this. You know, I, I would, you know, I'm just a, I'm a bow shop guy that, that had a character and the, the, the producer on site that day at Realtree said, we're going to call you T-Bone because that's what your nickname was back in the day. And you thought it was just too regular and they loved it. And here we are. And you, and you're, and you're T-Bone Turner now. That's what you go by. You very rarely call Travis in the hunting industry. Is that fair to say? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's been some four letter words I've been called, but mainly it's T-bone. <laughs> what is that? Deer and buck? Buck deer? Yeah, yeah. Buck yeah. Deer? <laughs> Might um, be kids listening. <laughs> do you ever watch those episodes on a Sunday night with your wife or is it past the romance part of that, of the show? And when you do, do you always watch them? And do you ever sit there and go, man, I wish I would have, wouldn't have said that. I wish I'd have been a little bit cleaner on that. I wish I would have been a little bit, you know, better in my wording on that. Do you ever, do you, do you sit there and be real critical on yourself? No, not really. I, I mean, maybe when it first began, you know, way back uh, doing real tree stuff in the mid two thousands, I, I guess might've been a little bit more critical, but you know, that's the, that's the great thing about it. It's we're not acting. We're not having to switch it and do a 180 from our real personalities. We're just being who we are. So, uh, you, you know, uh, when you can look in the camera and, and know that you're being honest and you're being humble and, and you're, you're really acting from the gut. Um, you know, you, I, I have no regrets whatsoever. I mean, there's been a, maybe a few times, but for the most part, no, it's, it's always an entertaining show. I mean, I'm a fan of Nick. I'm a fan of Michael. I'm a fan of our guest, and, and just a fan of, wow, that was a great memory. And that was a great camp. I mean, like, gosh, I can't wait to do that again, just because, uh, you know, the, the, the killing of the critter is the cherry on top, but, but we all know, and people can actually relate to it, hopefully that it's like, uh, that's what hunting camp's all about. It ain't about the, man, I got a 180 this week. Nothing else matters. No, 
it, it's all about the the times that we had and the, and the fun times. I mean, we can't wait to get back in camp and sit around at dinner time and shoot the bull. And, uh, you know, those are the, the, the true memories, in my opinion. The, 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 the critter that you harvest is basically just, the, like I said, the cherry on top or uh, uh, something to mount on the wall to make sure that you remember it. When you guys are in camp, and I'm asking this because Waddell is busy, you're busy. You guys don't just hunt. You have speaking engagements. You have appearances. You have dinners and banquets and you go to church with your families and you put together bows during the day and Waddell's farming almonds and which are called almonds out here in California, which I get corrected on all the time. Yeah, almond Pecan. farm. Pecan. Huh? Pecan. Pecans. Pecans. Uh that's what yeah, he's farming. He's yeah. He's farming pecans. Okay. Um you guys are busy. Months got he's getting ready to launch a new business he said yesterday on the podcast. When you're in camp and you're cutting up, is it a forced deal to where you have to say, okay, Waddell, from six to seven, we're at the table filming a fish fry and you and T-Bone are going to banter? Or is Waddell relaxed at camp and he's a little bit more humanized to where the celebrity's taken out and he's just Waddell at hunting camp and he's, he's less stressed there? Are you less stressed? Is your phone turned off and you can just be yourself at camp? Or is it more of like, well, this is just part of our daily routine, but we still have to answer these calls and talk to these outdoor riders and do sponsorship maintenance and da 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 da. Or is it is it is it forced or is it pretty natural at camp? It's pretty natural. We we look forward to it because when we're at home, we uh we have mandatory commitments in the office and such. So we look forward to it. I mean, a lot of people say like when we're doing speaking engagements from say January to, to August, you know, everybody's like, Hey, you're about to get busy. You know, whereas we've really been tearing the road up doing all of our commitments and stuff from January to August. Whereas in our mind, we're like, Oh no, man, from September to, to January 1st, we can't wait to get in camp. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still maintenance like you talked about, but for the most part, I mean, like we can't wait to spend time together. I mean, uh, even when Nick was uh, lived down here, I mean, we'd get together and we'd have fish fries because we all lived within about 30 minutes apart. And we'd we'd go to Waddell's house and, uh, you know, hang out at the Tiki Bar. They'd come up here to my house. I got a few ponds and we'd fish and shoot bows and hang out. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we look forward to spending time together, but we feel so guilty. I mean, honestly, if it was just us, we would hang out dang near every day. But when we're home because we're gone so much, you know, we feel obligated to our family and we need to do things with our family. Not, not that we don't want to do things with our family. That, that sounds horrible. But, you know, if it was just three bachelors, what, what, whatsoever, you know, Hey, we'd be, we'd be together on or off the camera. That's how tight we are. And, you know, Michael says, it's obvious that even if there was no cameras, we'd still be hunting. I mean, like we would still be doing this lifestyle. It just so happens it's being documented on camera. It's not like, oh, that's my job. I got to go do this. And it's not, no, it's like, we're, we're doing this anyway. We might as well document it. We, we live it. We love it. We're going to do this regardless if there's a camera or not. And as you get into your, I'm in my mid forties. You just turned 50 Waddell's 46, 47 months right in there too. If I had yeah. to guess yeah. in baseball, our careers are over and now we're a coach in single a trying to work our way up through the minor leagues as a coach again, like we did as a player to try to maybe become a manager, maybe become a bullpen coach, maybe become a pitching coach, maybe even a GM someday. Yeah. Shockey's probably 63, 64. Stan Potts is somewhere in there too. Ted Nugent's right there, maybe 70 now. Yep. He's a he's a he's a real rock star, real uh bona fide rock star, you know, with music way before the hunting celebrity came. Can T-Bone do this at 60 years old and still be relevant? Can Waddell be relevant at 55 to a 20-year-old? And can Bone Collector continue on this path of just I know you were surprised that you, you guys were ready to pack, you know, like if, if, if it would have lasted one season, you've already said on the podcast, you were ready to go back to, you know, drywall and whatever y'all were doing the archery yeah. shop and things like that. Or no, you were going to be a, 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 a toilet pump or you were doing, you said, as long yeah. as I don't have to do the, 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 the tanks anymore or something, right? The, That's right. Yeah. No, yeah. as long as I don't have to pump septic tanks. Yeah. Septic tanks. Good. Do you think that in this genre that we're, it's a little bit different to where, 
who knows how long Bone Collector can go. You guys might not have to bring in one of Waddell's sons or one of your guys' kids to replace the old man, per se, right? This yeah. this is something to where T-Bone, going into your 50s now, you're as relevant now, or if not more, than you were at, four, at 37 when you started Bone Collector. Is that right. fair to say? I think so. Um, you know, again, we, we don't want to... We don't want to get too big for our britches, no pun intended, but we just want to make sure that, uh, you know, we're having a good time. We, we, we want to relate to Billy Joe Lunchbucket, you know, whether you're, that's the great thing about hunting. Everybody's hunting, whether they're 10 years old or whether they're 65 or 70 years old. Uh, that's the great thing about it is, uh, the, the hunting lifestyle is not like, um, like a, like you said, a baseball player when you're done by the time you're, you know, your late thirties. So we, I think we are relevant with those folks. And, and we still have that plan B, so to speak, meaning like in our heads, we're like, this has already lasted longer. We're so blessed and we're so humbled by, uh, you know, all, all the success that we've had. So we're just going to continue to do so. And, you know, basically the fans will let you know when it's time to go. So we're going to, uh, you know, even when we retire, though, you know, we're still going to uh, hunt and stuff. So it's not like we're not going to be doing the same thing. Um but, you know, I think it could, you know, you look at Jackie Bushman and, uh, you know, that they've slowed down a little bit, but they're still doing it. And, you know, you got a, got a lot of uh, older ones. And I think that because we keep things so lighthearted and no, not serious, I think we, we, uh, uh, gravitate to a lot of different people. I mean, I think a lot of people enjoy watching it and the, the type of humor and the, the brotherhood, so to speak. And that's one reason why Michael wanted to call it not like the Michael Waddell show. And he wanted it to be called the bone collector and the brotherhood so that, you know, um, you know, anybody could host the show at the, at, you know, when it comes time to that brand and so on can just carry on. It's not like it's ear tag to Michael Waddell, even though he is the, the, the king, so to speak of it. And, you know, we all know that, um, us three were the, the originators of it, but it can carry on, you know, it's, it, it's so wide open as to where that brand can go and what it can represent for, uh, generations to come, hopefully. And that is so much harder than to do than when it comes out of your mouth of that, the work that, and the, the, the dedication, you know what I mean? To get it to that point, it's so hard to even think that you could develop something that could go on without the faces of it. You know, it's like, well, you know, when Michael Jordan went away from Nike, did they fail? No, but they keep him in there somehow. They keep the, the, his likeness on that brand somehow with air jump man jump or whatever. Yeah. Um, Tiger Woods has not been relevant as as much as he was back 10 years ago. He went through some trouble. He came back, won some tournaments. Nike stuck by his side, but it, it would continue on without him. Um, it's just, it's so hard to get a brand to that point. And it's so cool that you guys have done it. Like, let's take Jim Shockey, for example. If Jim Shockey goes away from Jim Shockey's hunting adventures or one of his properties, Eva's in a position in her life to where she might not be able to travel the world and have a camera crew hunting these expeditions like her father Jim does. Jim's wife for sure isn't going to do it. Jim's son is more on the behind the camera side. So does he have somebody that would step in there and keep that that theme going? Um, who knows? Bone Collector is that thing to where, yeah, it, it could be Waddell's son when he's done fishing in college. He might come over and and, and start getting more integrated into it. And then, yeah. you know, once in a while they go visit you guys, you know, back, you know, on your porch and you're telling them stories of how it used to be. And speaking of how it used to be, Travis, 15 years ago, T-Bone, I should just call you T-Bone, 15 years ago. I could just see you putting in for tag applications and just be like a kid in a candy store, you know, just, you just like look like Beavis and Butthead all shook up, just going oh, nuts. Yeah. Like, oh, are you still that way? Absolutely. Because I, I mean, uh, you know, people ask that, you know, they, what's on your bucket list? What do you want to kill now? And I, and I tell them, and I'm, I'm 1000% honest. If I don't kill another critter, I've already outlived my dreams. I mean, that that's a God's honest truth. I mean, as a fat Georgia redneck back in my twenties and early thirties, I never, I mean, I thought that I might get to go on a Midwest hunt maybe two or three times in my life. That's the best I could ever hope for. I mean, don't get me wrong. We all have bigger goals and everything, but, uh, you know, I want to be a realist as well. So if I don't kill another critter, I mean, absolutely. I've, I've, I've already outlived my dreams a thousand times over. 
but you still are like that and that anticipation is still there and you're still like that kid living his dreams to where at 50 years old you're not mad at him like you might once been but you still are just that juice to get in a tree stand again because once you've seen a buck under a tree stand or a duck over decoys you've seen it all i mean you could it doesn't matter like you, you once you've seen it one time you've seen it all that's what people could easily assume right no Which, no 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 that's the great thing that's the great thing about whitetail i mean all hunting is is that way but uh especially whitetail just because that's you know primarily what we hunt and it's just uh you know it's it seems to be the king because it's you know all across the country and whether you hunt them in montana or florida every way is different and every hunt is different i mean so the way they walk in you can relate to this uh when the when the birds are coming in it ain't the same to twice it may be three ducks it may be 10 ducks it may be you know they're high they're high balling and you can't get them to come in so you have to work it differently every hunt is different so the intensity level not it's still there i mean i can sit there and watch does all afternoon i tell people this a lot of time knowing that we're not going to shoot a doe and then later in the afternoon it's like okay we're going when your mind clicks and it says okay we're going to take a doe and then the intensity and the adrenaline just rushes because now you've made your mind up it's like now we're going to harvest a doe I, the, the, the switch has been flipped and i'm into kill mode so no if, if you lose that adrenaline or you lose that excitement then there's not a need to go so i personally it's more than just the hunt we do go on a lot of nice hunts but i'm getting so much into like uh, what waddell has talked about is uh you know my my place here my farm and i have a lease that adjoins mine i got 22 acres that adjoins my land here at home i'm so much into the the land management the 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 habitat you know planning and i, I know it seems uh uh kind of contrary it, it just adds to the pride factor when you do harvest the animal or growing the animals and making the land prettier um you know i call it diesel therapy i'm that is my uh, you know, I guess my, if I, if, if I did have a hobby, so to speak, that's what I love is land management and doing that stuff 12 months out of the year, every day I'm doing or thinking or studying, uh, trying to make the land around here better so that it adds to the pride factor. And it's like, man, it's so self-satisfying to know that, you know, I'm, I've got more deer on this property than what I did before. I've built habitat up. I got thick bedding areas. I got food plots planted. So I'm changing the way they travel. You know, I'm backing off on pressure on certain things. But all those things together just adds to the overall year-round pride factor more so than just like, hey, I got in a tree and I, sh I shot a doe. I mean, that that's prideful by all means, but I'm just trying to add to it. And how do you explain to somebody that it listens to you talk about land management and food plots and clover or all of these different companies that are supplying seed and salt licks and different forms of nutrition for these deer and then you kill a deer on that land to the outsider. It looks like, well, they just killing deer over something where the deer couldn't eat that. And when you educate somebody on that, when you're talking at a dinner or a banquet or a seminar speaking engagement, T-bone, do you, do you really give people the time of day on an education basis of saying, look, the nutritional value that we're doing, the improvement of the lands, the quality of the habitat, the, the structures that we're providing, the water management, everything that goes into this, how do you get that message across personally when the first notion that might go off into somebody's head is like, oh, there's been deer on that land for years. You're just making it to where they never leave that area and you kill all the good bucks. Yeah, well, we try to document it, uh, so you know, touch on it a little bit social media wise throughout the year, just to show folks that, you know, there's hard work that's going in there uh, all year long. And it's real easy. I mean, and the work you put in is the work you get out, you know, the more you put in it, the more you put out. Well, it's like if you built your own house, if you're sitting there watching TV in a house that you built, you're going to feel a lot prouder of that house, you knowing that you laid the bricks around that thing. So it's no different than if you washed your car, you're going to avoid that darn mud puddle no difference. Anything that you put a little sweat equity in, there's going to be a pride factor that goes along with it. And, 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 uh, I mean, that's just common sense. That's just human nature. I can see where the American farmer that goes out there and plants those, and he's trying to get a higher yield on his corn. I mean, I relate to that so well. You're watching the weather, you're watching the, 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 uh, when to plant the, the temperature of the soil, all those things go into a higher yield. And I'm doing the same things to feed a deer. I mean, sometimes I ask myself, I'm like, you're crazy, man. You're spending so much time, but it's so fun and it's so enjoyable. And it just means so much, you know, like when you're sitting in the stand and you, maybe that target buck doesn't come out, but you know that you've got hours and hours and days and days of sweat equity out there. And you're like, just last night, I went last, yesterday evening, I was trying to roost a turkey 
and I'm overlooking a, a power line where we've got about eight acres of food plots planted, and there's 18 deer out there. We're we're a long ways away from deer season. Can't see a but any nubs on a deer. I don't know if they're bucks or does or anything, but I've got 18 deer out there eating food that I planted, and then I've sprayed to kill the weeds three weeks ago, and they're enjoying that. I mean, it's almost like a woman cooking a good meal and seeing all the guys come in and enjoying the the fruits of the labor. So I'm getting enjoyment out of deer hunting. Here it is in the middle of April in a quarantine. I mean, what better, you know, it's, I I, I know I'm trying to explain it. I, I just can't explain it as good as, it, as what it is. So every single day I'm seeing like, take the mulcher out there and I take and mulch out some areas where the, the, the they can get to the mass crop a lot better. And I know that's going to be uh, crucial come uh, late fall, whenever the, the, the nuts are dropping, the acorns are dropping and they're in their feeding, they're going to be able to get to it. I've seen where the turkeys are scratching just because I made that habitat better for them, something that they normally couldn't get to. So every day, you know, I'm scratching that itch. I'm basically preparing stuff and I'm seeing results, instant, instant gratification on things that you're doing. And it lasts all year long. So when you look at those 18 deer and they're so picturesque and they're beautiful, right? Yeah. And you have a lot of admiration and respect for the resource. It's obvious in the passion of your voice, but you also say stuff like this, T-Bone. I killed that deer. I shot that turkey in the face. I shoot him dead. Do you apologize for the T-Bone that says things like that after you say a sentence like, I have 18 beautiful deer, don't know if they got nubs or if they're bucks or not, but they're enjoying that meal like a lady and the fruits of labor. When I am on the foul life and the ducks come in and I say, kill them, and then it goes to air and then my email inbox, um, you know, increase from our info at the foul life and our Instagram and our social media fill up with, why do you have to use words like kill? Why do you, why can't you be a little bit more um, subtle? why is it always kill them kill them kill them why can't it be get them or take them and part of me goes that makes sense and then the me that's in the blind in the moment i never say i'm sorry for saying things like that do you ever catch yourself and want to reiterate that or do you not make apologies at all for saying things like i like a shotgun for a turkey and shooting them right in the face no i don't don't think so um you know we've been given stewardship over the the the, the renewable resources and the key word there is renewable resource. The the biologists of every state, they have the the they have the education and they've went to school so that we can maximize the uh, the herd or the the flock or or make sure that we have uh, the right amount of deer. So there's a limit there. You can only take so many as it is, no matter what state you're hunting in, whether you're waterfowl hunting, whether you're deer hunting or whatever. That's why there are limits. However you know, it's the thrill of the hunt. We all have that in us. You know, what El talked about, it gives a synopsis of, uh, you know, it's like, how come everybody's a hunter? Well, everybody is a hunter. I mean, I don't care if you're a woman that lives in Manhattan or whatever. How come when a kitten comes out, it knows to chase that moth that's flopping on the floor? It's in its blood. It's in its, it's an instinct. No different than the woman that's in Manhattan. Now, society has made it way more convenient, way more convenient. But you look at a woman that's shopping on Amazon. Is she looking for the best deal? Yeah, she's hunting a good deal. Is when she gets up in the morning, is she hunting for a good cup of coffee? Yeah, she's hunting for a good cup of coffee. It's always in it, but through convenience and through uh, uneducated folks, they basically look back and say, well, I don't have to go hunting. You don't have to go hunting. That's the great thing about society and us being the stewards of the land. Yeah, someone else has done the hunting and provided the meat that's in the freezer at the uh, at the, the grocery store, and then, by gosh, they can come and uh make sure that they get their meal that way. So, um, you know, we're all hunters and we're all gatherers. Um, we just have to, some people enjoy the hunt and enjoy the whole, um, they enjoy the whole process of, and they enjoy the being the hunter, the gatherer, the provider, the leader. I mean, there's a lot of pride to that. Just like we talked about the farmer. Hey, it's like, I, you know, I've, I've created this for this. Now I can manage the herd so that I have an extremely, an extremely healthy herd. So that I'm not just shooting the first thing that comes by. I'm selectively taking the most mature doe. I'm selectively taking the oldest buck. You know, so so you're not just shooting anything that comes by. You're doing it so that you have a well-managed herd so that the other people that are hunting the same lands as you are are having the same uh, type of experience that you are. And then, you know, it's more than just I shot a deer and I put it on my table. You're You're making it a 12-month enjoyable process and you're actually raising the deer you're farming for deer basically 
Yeah. And I think that, I think that through the education process, which is, I think everybody owes it to themselves to become educated. So if you have somebody that has the knowledge of T-Bone Turner that lays down knowledge, like you just said right there, you just spit your game right there. Is it a responsibility of a guy like you, T-Bone Turner, that to go out and spread that word? Is it the responsibility of us that we have a platform or a quote unquote voice in the industry or the space now? Or is it better just to keep our mouth shut and let them be ignorant to it? Or do we keep spinning our wheels on different ways to try to educate people on the management of land and the nutritional value, the conservation efforts by hunters. Do we talk about this until we're blue in the face and that we're never going to change the anti's mind? Or are you of the mindset that times they are a changing, like Bob Dylan said, and said that we are, we are starting to get more of a voice of being able to show somebody why hunting is important through the quarantine. For example, how awesome is it to have a fuller full of wild game meat and not have to go buy all the meat at your local supermarket and leave that meat there for somebody that's not a hunter we don't have to worry about that so do you think that through our education and voices like you that are so well um, spoken and well received that it's our responsibility when you get in the position that you are or that i might be in the duck world and i'm not saying that i'm as big as you guys are but i'm just saying do we have to take that responsibility on or do we just stay quiet and take it and just and, and just hunt now you, you can you kind of see what i'm asking there no no absolutely i think you i think you Absolutely. We've been given a platform. So, um, you know, I think we owe it to our sport. I think we owe it to, uh, um, you know, to be a little uh, philanthropist, so to speak. But in the same token, we don't need to step on eggshells, meaning like we don't need to make any excuses by by all means. We are hunters. It's been around. It, it's our, uh, you know, it's our privilege. It's our God given right. We don't need to make excuses for it now. Can you tactfully do it? Absolutely. I mean, are there some things that probably we shouldn't do? Yeah, I think the the, the days of taking the deer and putting it on the hood of the car and riding it around all all that that's not done tastefully. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I think you can tactfully um, you know be a hunter and and explain to why uh, we do hunt and how hunters are the number one uh, contributor for conservation and uh, you know the dollars that we raise and the education that we are and you know if if what I have found, and you probably the same way, as many times as we're on a flight, I tell this story a lot, is when we're on flights or we're traveling, airports are full of very diverse cultures. So you never know who you're going to sit next to. I mean, half the time it may be somebody that is an anti-hunter or who, who doesn't see eye to eye. But I've learned that most people are kind of on the fence. And because they don't actually tune into our shows or watch our uh, you know social medias and stuff like that, they're going to pick up that, uh, you know, People Magazine, and they're going to see a little blurb that Britney Spears might have said, saying, uh, "Yeah, she's against hunting." So she's like, "You know what? I like Britney Spears. I, I yeah, I, I feel the way she does." Without even knowing the the backstory of what goes into as a hunting or an outdoor lifestyle. So when I meet people like that, I can tell that this person's on the fence, or they may even be towards an anti-hunter if they're open-minded for a conversation. We sit there and talk, and honestly. Um, nine times out of 10, they're just uneducated. And that's why I think that we do need to do that. They're just, they just are uninformed. They've formed an opinion based off of what they've seen on TMZ or entertainment tonight. And it's just like, Hey, I'm not giving that much thought. This person says it. So, you know, it's may, maybe a leftist decision or so, and then they jump on that bandwagon. So as long as we're educating, yeah, we have to fly that flag as hunters, as outdoorsmen, so that we are reaching those people. But not just us. I mean, the burden is on us a lot. But I encourage when, when we're going to these uh, events and stuff for everybody, I don't care whether you're working in a steel factory, you're hanging sheetrock or whatever, with the numbers being down as far as licensed hunters, everybody needs to encourage someone to become a hunter when you're in the backyard and you're you're uh you know skinning out that goose or you're skinning that deer and you got that neighbor that's two yards over and he's looking over the fence you know it's like hey what are they doing over there rather than giving him the finger and thinking he's a nosy neighbor and you don't really know him welcome him over give him an adult beverage sit there and talk to him about everything that went into the hunt next time you're going on a hunt show him how you're going to prepare this invite him over to uh eat eat on your Traeger and make sure that you have a, a, a 
you know, a back strap, share some meat with him and say, hey, wasn't this good? Or you're feeding him some fish or some goose or duck or way you're preparing it. So, hey, next time we go, won't you tag along, man? And, and you know, you can see the pride factor. That's what we and I say we not just folks that are on the TV or have a little bit of a platform. Everybody that is an outdoorsman or a huntsman needs to be doing that. They need to be encouraging because if every hunter that there is now a licensed hunter, it's just one person. Just think of the way the numbers are going to go. If you can convert one person, or maybe it's a guy that used to hunt that hadn't hunted in 10 years. Maybe you get him back. Maybe it's a, not a kid. I mean, absolutely, we need to take kids hunting for the insurity of the future. We need to make sure that we're taking anybody, a woman, a kid. Now more than ever, I'm sure Waddell touched on this, there's more single parents than ever. So we need to mentor some folks and get them into the, the uh, outdoors so that we make those numbers grow and that we make hunting and outdoors and the conservation efforts be in a positive light. Let them learn about the whole experiences and the times that we have out there and all the great food and the renewable resources and how enjoyable this lifestyle really is. Got it so well said when you say it. If you if you if somebody came to you, if our, if our president, Donald Trump, called T-Bone Turner today and said, T-Bone... We're going to put together a forum. We're going to put together a panel and we're going to bring some of these people that are on the fence. We're going to bring some people that are antis. We're going to bring some people that used to hunt, but may not be in it anymore. We're going to have people that never had a mentor because we both understand how important mentorship is. I just took a note in my phone to call T-Bone and discuss mentorship with him. I just emailed myself. You can see it right up there. See it on the top. Yeah. I just emailed myself and I put mentor and I said, call T-Bone to discuss mentorship. Um, T-Bone, this is your president, Donald J. Trump. I'm, you get to pick five individuals to be on this panel with yourself. So a total of six individuals, they do not have to be industry TV personalities. They don't even have to work in the hunting industry through your experiences and your travels. T-Bone Turner, who are you going to have on those five chairs next to you to spread this good word of hunting, the culture of hunting, conservation, everything that we've been touching on so far today? Who are the five people that you send a personal email to to say you are one of five that I am inviting on this? Some we may have heard of, some we may have not. I'd have to give it uh, some deep thought, but j you know, if you're putting a gun to my head to decide, uh, one would be a, a Kai Burkett, uh, Burkett. He's a ranch manager in Texas. Um, uh, the Wexford ranch actually where we hunt, um, just a great conservationist. And he has, he just gets it. You know I mean? He's just done so much conservation wise. He's a great guy. He, and he, he gets the whole deal. Very well-spoken. He would be one of them. I, you know, I would hate to stop at five, to be honest Waddell for sure, just because he could sell a moose, a hat rack. <laughs> and then, uh, I haven't um, heard that one. Yeah. Plus, uh, Denny Malloy, uh, Denny Malloy is a field director for whitetails unlimited. He's very good politically and he's, he's very well-spoken. He's a, um, uh, used to be a game warden. Now he's a director with whitetails unlimited and he's very well-versed in, um, uh, conservation biology and as the preserving the hunting heritage, protecting our second amendment rights. Um, Yourself, you, I mean, I know I'm not just cause we're on here. You, you really impressed me, uh, you know, as far as being extremely well-spoken and you would come in there, especially on the waterfowl, uh, side, just so that there's a little diversity and, uh, you know, being from a Western States, I think that that would uh, show a lot and, um, might have to have, uh, I, I'm thinking Ted Nugent, um, I'm thinking Ted Nugent just because there's no one that can out debate. Ted Nugent, period. Strong. So Strong. If, if it does, if Ted Nugent's on this panel and things go bad and you're on your cell phone, you're like, all oh, heck's breaking loose. All H-E double hockey sticks is breaking loose. I don't know if I should ever say that word when I'm talking to a Southern man. So I respect this. I, I respect the Bible belt. So I don't talk like that. Sometimes yeah. I do. If I heard it like yesterday, I said it because Waddell said it first. So yeah, that's fine. A, hell breaks loose. The place pandemonium. Now you have to say, I get five people with bow and arrows, like the Rambo, the John Rambo scene in the, one of the newer Rambo movies when he's just taking his bow off and pulling them out of his sheath on his back. Who are the five archers you want on T-Bone's team that, that can hit their target? 
Who are the best archers that you know right now? We may know some, we may not. Who would you want on your team under pressure? And keep in mind that I was at the Edge event for the 3D archery tar- target shoot at the Edge event in in uh, April of 2017 down in Georgia, and I and I witnessed that. So I don't know if the winner of that would be one of them, but who are your five? Go. Uh, Levi Morgan, for sure. Uh, Waddell. I'd pick Waddell just because uh, Waddell necessarily ain't, He's not necessarily – he's good on a target by all means, but, like, when it comes to filling a freezer or the pressure's on, he performs well under pressure. Um, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> There's so many good ones out there. Um, I don't know him like you do. That's why I'm wondering who you're, – yeah. you're looked at as one of the top – resources of archery you're you're a very authoritative you have an authoritative voice in archery so is it the nugents is it nick munt nick munt won the target contest is he a strong archer but he is he not the guy that you would call on did he get lucky that day are we saying this on the national podcast that nick gets lucky a lot with his bow no he kills a lot of critters too he had a really really good day that day let's put it that way (laughs) yeah he had a really good day that way but no he's a great shot as well um probably pick uh, Dan McCarthy he would be one of them um he's out of Wisconsin um and then gosh there's so many of them what makes Levi so special did his comp did you compete against him did you ever beat him I know he's won lots and lots of titles is he is he as strong in the field on animals as he is on a 3d target range in a competition style archery shoot is he just a great guy does he just get it he's all of the above he's very humble very low-key um you know doesn't let the pressure get to him uh suppresses the nervous energy which is something that really makes a great archer um he was actually he's quite a bit younger than me so about the time i was finishing up is about the time that he was getting into the uh professional classes i mean don't get me wrong he was at some of the tournaments but he was in the young adult class and and the youngster when i was competing so i I knew him back then and i knew he was going to be a force to reckon with but uh, about the time that um you know fortunately about the time i was getting out (laughs) he was just getting into the the pro classes but no he's been dominant probably the most dominant archer in the last 40 years for sure um uh randy ulmer is is my idol as well he's uh oh, he, he doesn't God. shoot anymore either but he's uh from arizona and he was one to, to reckon with you know throughout the 90s and and early 2000s so uh he, he would be one that i would also uh make sure that was on that as far as getting the job done uh, just an incredible hunter a credible incredible target archer yeah and and uh Levi just gets it. You know, he suppresses the nervous energy. He's got a strong mental game. He's, you know, very in shape and he's just done it so long. And most of all, especially in the 3D world, he is an incredible yardage judger, you know, because you're not allowed to use range finders. You have to judge the distance. So, uh, you know, you can be the best shot in the world, but if you can't judge the target that's out there to within the one yard, you're not going to get the scoring rings that you need. So uh, he is, he's the total package. And, and to top it all off, he's not arrogant. He's a great family man, you know, a, a God-fearing man. And he's a, he's a, a, just a, just a good guy. I mean, you always pull for him regardless. So, um, you know, he's been here at the house before and we've been friends for years and, you know, we, we stay in touch throughout the year too. So, uh, I'd like uh, to meet, I'd like to meet him someday. Maybe you can make an introduction. I just like to say hello. Cause I, yeah. I, I watch him. I, I really like the way he carries himself. Does Fred bear make your list? Is he the godfather of archery or is he, why does he have such a reputation as being quote unquote, the godfather of archery? And would he make your list? Um, well, I mean, he's just an icon in our industry. One, he, he took us to the next level, you know, back when archery was just getting going between, you know, owning and running bear archery and building bows and just, you know, traveling the whole, the whole world, you know, stacking up critters and such. So he's doing it at a time when, you know, innovations wasn't nowhere near, uh, like what they are today. So, uh, you know, hats off for him to, to getting us to where we are now. So a ton of admiration for him. Um, you know, since we've been talking, I would, I would probably put Fred Eichler in there too. Uh-huh. Fred Eichler, if I'm not mistaken, is the first man to ever kill the he completed the super slam, which is 29 uh, North American big game species. And he did it all with a recurve. Yeah. Wow. which is. I think it's only been done by like two other people maybe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, the, the, it, it's been done quite a few times actually, you know, with compounds, but he was the first with a recurve for sure. So that's, that is 
a, a, a feat in itself. I, I think and you Levi, talk you talk about a humble guy too, and just a family yeah. man. Fred is just awesome, man, and so funny, just oh, so funny. I love, mean, I think, and it, it, you talk about a kid in a candy story, like a, yeah. when the coyote comes in or a turkey or a fish yeah. hits his bobber, he just goes nuts, doesn't oh, he? Oh yeah, <laughs> yep, um, yeah. He he is a great one. He is. Uh, I, I mean, he's he's so well respected within the industry, but then again, I think he's kind of you know, he's, he's kept the humble path and he's kind of, uh, uh, overlooked more than he should be because he de- deserves way more respect and way more admiration than, than even what he gets now, which is a lot. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. He's been, he's been on the podcast and I felt so honored. I got to sit down with him in Denver yeah. at Coors Field and just, I was like, man, this is Fred Eichler. I just, I've always looked yeah. up to him. Do you, when you mentioned Randy Ulmer, he's killed so many big mule deer out where we live, um, in yep. this state and Utah, he's got to have something that separates him to be consistently putting those kind of animals and those type of inches on the ground as an archer. He's, he's getting within 60 yards of big, mature, you know, mule deer that have been there, done that. Right. Yeah. Is it, is it instincts? Is it, is it just knowing the lay of the land? What, what gives him that you said something that really impressed me of suppressing the negative energy, which yeah. It could, you know, I could imagine that when that ghost of the woods walks out and you're not ready for it and you're almost falling off your tree stand is like that negative energy is trying to get you to fail, but you kind of get your systematic breathing down. You try to think your mental process starts to go to a different level. Your preparation is key. Your, your, everything that goes into that shot and that, but the stock and getting in position to make that shock, that shot is it his competitiveness through his career that made him into that type of hunter that he wanted to be the absolute best mule deer hunter if you look at all the great archers and hunters they they all have similar personalities meaning like they have they're a little bit ocd they're extremely anal about making sure that their uh, equipment is is not going to fail them you know they've really spent the time practicing they did the due diligence to make sure that they're proficient so that's one thing. And then two, they have the ability to su- suppress the n- nervous energy as well as suppress the negative energy, meaning like they have the mentality of I- I'm going to get this rather than, man, I hope I don't screw up. They've got it. I've got this. I've done this a thousand times. I've got this. Or there's a very few sports where you want to suppress the nervous energy, just like uh, golf. You don't want that adrenaline rush. You don't want to try to kill the ball. You want the same head speed. You want everything. Um to go to go the same exact way so that you don't uh, have that nervous energy same thing with archery you don't want whenever it's time for this is a ten thousand dollar shot or hey this is a buck of a lifetime you want to be able to calm those uh, nerves down and just suppress the nervous energy so you have to have that that confident but yet uh, uh, humbled and calming uh, uh, mindset so to speak and and Randy has that as well as Levi and all the the ones that that uh, seem to make it make it happen there that's the way they're wired so to speak and patient i mean what you said just now could have been said about the Derek jeters and the you know yeah. the, the john mackenrose and the sampers the guys that have always elevated their game in all different walks of athletics is probably the same maybe not the ocd part like an archery hunter would be but a lot of those same characteristics T-Bone, I think that we need to do more of these. Um, I love uh, Maybe we even think about hosting a Zoom podcast to where we bring up a third window because sure. you, you've been on these Zoom meetings and maybe you and I have a weekly show of, of talking to the Levi Morgans and the, and the guys that you mentioned and get Eichler on here, get an athlete on here, get Mark Chestnut on here, maybe yeah. a little Sammy Kershaw and talk about queens of double wide trailers and, you know, <laughs> eating chicken fried steak by the lobster tank and a gin yeah. fizz and God, I love Sammy Kershaw music. Oh, I could sit yeah. and listen to him. Uh, oh yeah. The, the, the Waylon remake that he did of she's going to love me in my Chevy van. Yeah. So I gave you an hour to think about it now. Give me the best brim. And I assume that it's going to be battered and fried because fish fries are, are, are unbelievably well taken in the South. They're the, they're as well received in the South as church might be, or is that against, uh, is that not good to say, but I think oh, that they uh, might be. Yeah, right? they are. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much a toss up between a crappy and a brim or a bluegill. I mean, there's, between those two, those are those are some and catfish too, for that matter. But nonetheless, I like to fillet them. You know, a lot of people. Um, 
I fillet them, you know, if you can catch a bunch of them, that way you're doing away with a bunch of the real small hair bones and all you got is the rib meat there and then just lightly batter them, uh, cornmeal and then pan fry them. Don't deep fry them. I like to pan fry them that, that way. It's just like a quarter inch, three eighths of an inch of a, a vegetable and flip them over back and forth. That's the way I like to cook them. But wait a um, minute, what's the seasoning? What's the breading and what's the seasoning? I want to see if it's the same as Waddell's. Yeah, it's it's uh, flour and cornmeal mixed with salt and pepper in there. Simple. No Tonys. He uses Tonys, but the flour and cornmeal were the same. Yep. No, the to- the Tonys is a little too spicy in my opinion. I just used the flour and cornmeal uh, combination, and then salt and pepper. A little more pepper than salt. And uh, yeah, that that's and some people put like an all-purpose seasoning sometimes on there. Um, Something that I, not, I'm switching gears on. You don't get me wrong, Brent. And you got to eat them with tartar sauce, in my opinion. A lot of people use uh, ketchup or vinegar. I'm a tartar sauce man with my brim and crappy. Um, and you got to have hush puppies. Hush puppies with onions and bell pepper in them. Uh, amazing. Whoa! All so right. you take the cornmeal and you mix in the vegetables with them, onions and green bell peppers, and then fry them. With buttermilk. With so buttermilk. With buttermilk. You make a batter. Is there any so, cheese in these hush puppies? You could, you could, and, and no one would ever complain, but normally we don't put the cheese in there because it gets so hot it runs out the sides. Let me ask you this when you mention that recipe. Do you have any idea what the origins and why they are called a hush puppy? Was it somebody was talking so much that somebody just shoved them in one of their mouths and said, or was a dog barking so much and they wanted to shut the dog up? When they're making cornbread or when they it's the leftover batter and stuff that they had for breading the fish and whatever, they, they just would make it. It's like... Hey, you know, rather than having the dog uh, uh, bag at the table, they'd make these little dough balls. It looked like just looked like barnacles and stuff. And it's like, hey, just feed that crap to the dog. You know, rather than waste it, throwing it in the trash, they just fry up some balls and just some barnacles and stuff that was left over in the hot grease and everything that you scooped out there. You know, the you know, the real crispy fries that gets left behind in the, in the yeah. grease, all that stuff just went over there to feed the dog. So that's that's where that's hush where it puppy. came up with hush puppies. You had a hush shut the dog up <laughs> wow i just was guessing but i could see a yeah. lady in the south going hush puppy and then like yeah well that's what we're gonna call them yeah or or you know it's just basically um you know it's it's a filler you know rather than having to feed the feed the dog all the scrap meat you know which is valuable for all the protein you just mix that in there and it's a good filler, no different than cereal that you have in you know, a lot of dog feeds that there are today I, I I wanted to tell you because it's killing me to tell you about the the turkey, the wild turkey. Yeah, so that's many where we're going next. Yeah, the wild turkey is always um, is always so dry, you know. And we always make nuggets, which are amazing. You know, you got to cut them real small, and you and you batter them up very similar to what you do with the uh, the, the brim, and you fry them up like that. And and that's good by all means, but it's just always so dry. Which I love turkey, but it's just so dry. Even the Thanksgiving dinner, a lot of times it's so dry. You know, if you don't just pump it full of marinade. So what um. What I did, I did this uh, this past week, and if you followed along, I, I took it and put it in a, a slow cooker. I got a big Weston slow cooker. I put it in there, the two breasts and chicken broth and a little bit of seasoning and water and just cooked the fire out of it to where it was just like just falling apart, just absolutely falling apart. And then put it in a skillet, mixed the mushrooms in there, and then put fajita seasoning in there. So then I had this big, uh, you know, uh, just tons of chicken that we can put for tacos that we made uh fajitas out of we made enchiladas and you can use it in any recipe any any type of mexican and it has stayed moist the whole time leave the water don't don't drain the water off leave all that moisture on there and then anytime you're pulling it out of the refrigerator and eating on it because you know two uh you know turkey breasts off of a 23 pound turkey they're pretty big yeah that's a lot of meat man we've ate off of that for a week and a half and you know my family's loved it and it's always stayed moist and it was just so much more delicious than uh you know a one and done type fried turkey type thing which is good also but I, i'm just so happy with my newfound uh uh way to prepare the turkey i did follow along and i was like man he's kind of doing he's kind of going pulled pork on me with the slow cook and it just falling apart with two yeah. forks so i'm glad that we talked today and i'm glad that we settled our long our long-lived uh, argument of that a traeger really is a grill and a barbecue and not just a t-bone quoted smoker and that you can bake and you can barbecue and you can grill and you can reverse sear are we clear on this now or do i need to get one down to you and fly in there and put on a little seminar I have a Traeger and I absolutely love the Traeger for certain things. And, uh, you know, I'm just being 1000% honest. You can do so many things with it. Um, 
Um, and may, maybe I need to talk to the folks at Traeger because I've yet to get mine over 365 degrees. Uh, I can't get it hotter than Do you know that. which model it is off the top of your head? The 900. It's about three years old. Um, I'll have it. I'll, I'll get with you today on that because there's some new innovation on that that we'll talk about. But I understand what you're saying, but I want you to get the new and improved stuff because everything evolves technology wise. So sure. I'll get that done. I will contact you in regards to this mentorship idea. I talked to Waddell about it a little bit too. I'll talk to you about this podcast idea. We'll keep kicking it around and I still have to get my bow down there. Do I need to be there for my bow to, for you to start work on it? Or is it easier for me to be there physically? No, um, I can do about 95% of it without you here. Uh, just by talking. But yeah, at some point, I'm going to need to be with you just to finalize things like peep height, kisser height, um, you know, tweaking the draw length to where it's just precise and making sure that the air, the um, the uh, release is, is just the. But as far as like error preparation, poundage and all that, I can doing the whole tuning process that I can do it without you here. All right. I'm going to ship that down in a hard case. And then I want it yeah. all bone. I want it all bone collected out or whatever gear or product or, or, or knickknack stuff you need on there. All right. Sure. Yeah. You can see behind me. I got a bunch I've been working on actually yeah. right here. So I see. And it's not a Hoyt. I, it, it's not a Hoyt. Is that okay? Doesn't matter. Yep. We'll, we'll get you set up or we'll get you a Hoyt. <laughs> all right well let's talk about that that's t-bone yeah. turner bone collector he is the man check him out on instagram at t-bone outdoors that's right yep facebook twitter and that at and t-bone now tiktok out, and now tiktok these guys are in their 50s and they're on tiktok waddell said i don't know if waddell's 50 yet but he's close enough not to have a tiktok i'm gonna have to have a sit down with you guys on this too and now i'm gonna have to get one just to know what y'all are doing it's crazy it's like yeah. it's never ending but hey it's it's fun and as long as you don't let it go to your head or let it take over your life and you still put the phone down like you said on our last podcast of the hours spent in the truck with your son and and, and those hours and minutes are meant for no phone no ipad no ipod nothing that yep. steve jobs came up with travis t-bone turner thank you so much brother i'll be in touch Thank you, Chad. Appreciate it. Everybody have a good day, man. Yes, sir. You too, T-Bone. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Let us know how the uh, – send us some more uh, Instagram footage of those brim frying so we can all have our mouths water. And that's T-Bone Turner, Bone Collector. Remember, this episode was brought to you by our friends at Jack Daniels. Enjoy it responsibly. Tom, please do me a favor. Hit that button. This song was written by Leith Lofton and our good buddy Drake White. What you going to do when the money's all gone? Time on.